0: If there was a victim that was unresponsive, the first ski would come in, drop them off. They would stabilize and take hits with this person just to keep them afloat. This is before rescue vests and all the other stuff.
1: All right. Welcome back to a classic. I'm your host, Jack Acrop. And today I'm with my friend, Ryan Levinson. Uh, Ryan's, a, Ryan's an awesome dude. I just got to know him you know, over the last few months through a good friend, John Griffith, Griffith and uh, he's got a long list of accolades here we're going to get into, along with being the former leader of the Big Wave World Tour EMS rescue team and RWC operator. He's a former super yacht captain, former member of the U.S. sailing team, former national champion sailor, uh, Ryan Levinson. Former. Welcome on. It's
0: all former. I'm just an old man now. I'm just blowing you up, bro.
1: Thank you. How
0: are you, man? I'm good. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you too. How's everything? It's good. We're down in San Diego, you know. We're um, we're we're on the on the home continent for a little while like getting used to cold again before we head back head back to the tropics.
1: Okay. Awesome, man. So where where are you from originally?
0: Originally, I was born and raised in Florida on the west coast of florida actually and then when i got to high school started surfing on the east coast you know in coco okay. beach that area one town up from slater and those guys same era and then for college i was expelled from high school and uh, before i was expelled at my high school you were required to apply to a college it was like one of the things you had to do and i wasn't going to go to college i was going to be a professional cyclist in the summer and surf in the winter that was my that was going to be my my thing so i didn't need college right but um I looked online and I found out that Playboy rated San Diego State University the number one party school in the United States. And there's good surf in San Diego, so I applied there. Somehow got in, and uh, back when San Diego State was a little easier to get in, and moved to yeah. California. Been there since.
1: That's awesome, man. And is uh did, did you kind of grow up around the ocean or?
0: Yeah, did you I grow grew up, up grow up surfing,
1: sailing, all all the different things. Or what? How did you, how did how did you get introduced to the ocean and start there? Well.
0: I got introduced to the ocean primarily through sailing. My father was a sailor, so we would go sail with him. And in Florida, the water's warm most of the year, so you can jump overboard and just swim around and you know, kind of have a good time. So I was always comfortable in the water. Uh, I didn't start surfing until like my early teens, okay. so kind of a late a late bloomer for that. Um, the uh, and it was like immediate, you know, like I, I was a skater, kind of into skating before that, and surfing at the time for me it was kind of equal parts. Maybe identity as it was because I loved riding waves, and then, of course, like the riding waves part, it's done once the hook's in, it's done. You know, so you was a kook then, still a kook now, but but uh, not stopping anytime soon. You know,
1: yeah, that's Hopefully. awesome, man. So it just kind of everything kind of evolved from there. So started yeah, off, well, so started off sailing, started surfing, and then once yeah, you came and, to came to California, it was just full
0: on. What well, was what was it like church. growing up
1: in, in Florida and, and surfing there?
0: yeah see that was the big difference right florida's all beach break almost all beach break and it's all really short interval stuff and there's a super long continental shelf so all the waves you have to paddle out through a hundred lines of like if the waves are over shoulder high you're paddling for like an hour just to get outside and then you're riding these kind of big usually kind of soft reform 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 you know there's there's not a lot there's no points there's there's no like slabs like there's some kind of rock bottom stuff, but it's still just basically a beach break, <laughs> you know, it breaks like a beach break. So, you get really good at like jamming down the line and then doing like some move off of like a closeout. Like that's kind of all you do in Florida most yeah. of the time with some exceptions. There's some jetties and stuff that are good, but that's basically it. So, when I came to California, like the whole concept of like a, like I remember I surfed K38s in Mexico, it's this right point and that was the first time I surfed like a proper point and just F- can we cuss on this podcast? Probably not, right? It just yeah. We can in. always edit it out. Right, in, I'll just say freaking. it's it freaking. It freak I'm a kind of a cusser guy. I'm a sailor, <laughs> but it blew my mind. Flow, man. Yeah, I just could. You know, I had to learn how to like cut back. You know, and do things like that. You just don't have to do. You know, and then it was of course. You know, years after that, before I really learned how to like kind of set up for little tubes and things and all the stuff that sort of like comes along with surfing more powerful kind of reef reef proper reef break waves and then. Mm. From there, once I kind of got into that, I was like, "Wow, this is this is the this is where it's at." So I did my seasons on the North Shore, nothing notable, but you know, I was there and I pushed, like anybody, I pushed myself, you know, and I'm happy with with the things I did. And uh, that's
1: awesome.
0: Yeah. So, anyways, also surfing was the gateway for me. It was like my gateway drug into. All kinds of ocean stuff. So, you know, I became a scuba instructor and a kayaking instructor. And I led kayak trips in Mexico for a job for a while and started sailing avidly in all kinds of different sorts of boats. And then obviously windsurfing and kiteboarding and spearfishing. And I was kind of into paddleboarding, like distance paddleboarding prone. And then that led to paddleboarding stand up, you know, sup. And so it's just sort of like always this love affair with the ocean. But certainly, surfing has always been the central kernel that. Has sort of informed and inspired all those other ways to kind of play on the water, kind of like what you're doing with the kids. Yeah, you know, that's why I, that's why I dig what you're doing so much.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah, it's a, it was fun having you down there and having you talk with the kids. Yeah, that was super yeah. cool, man. Yeah, it's just this this the, that waterman lifestyle is pretty cool, right? I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. I was mm-hmm. surfing a wave that did not warrant a shortboard, right? I mean, I was out there and I was riding a shortboard, and I just felt like I was just beating my head into a wall because I was just having this shitty session. And I look out at this guy on a stand up paddle, and, that, and that's, you know, I've always kind of had this concept of riding different crafts, but that kind of just reiterated that to me. Like, you're on the wrong craft right now. You know, like it sucks for shortboarding. <laughs> you know, yeah, so you, get on, you get on a stand up board or you get on a foil, or like I, now I see why there's so many different avenues, and, and it just keeps things interesting in the ocean, you know? Like, Nothing yeah, wrong with people it. riding shortboards. You know, some people ride shortboards all the time and they rip and that's fine. I just mm-hmm. find for me I start to get start to yeah. beat my head against the wall. So
0: yeah, for sure. I mean it also depends what kind of vibe you're in. I mean, like there's people who ride the wrong board at like certain waves just because I guess they want to challenge themselves or something, you know. Um, yeah. It's just whatever you're into. Like I guess for me, I sort of like I was a shortboard guy, right? And like my era in the eighties and nineties. You ride shortboards, and they're white or maybe neon in the late eighties, but and then they became white, uh, yeah. black wetsuit. You know, a lot of the, some of the waves I surfed, like you don't wear a leash, like, you know, you're not going to be uh, welcomed with, with smiles, you know, and um, you have to kind of prove yourself in the pecking old, old school shit, you know, or old school stuff. Yeah. And um, so that was sort of kind of ingrained in me. And then as I got into these other sports, I still stuck with just shortboarding until I started working with uh, a surf shop that's kind of like this, um, kind of like a, like legend guy shaper. It was his shop and he's a longboard guy. And I started kind of, well, let's see what his boards are like. And I started writing a few of them and they just blew my mind. Not so much. I'm not really like a login guy, big single fin, you know, square tail plank kind of thing. But these were boards that were just like really low rocker kind of all about the rail, like really neutral, thin rails, deep concaves through the tail, little tight tri-fin, like designed for speed and glide. Uh, And I was like, blew my mind, like what you could do on these little waves, like how fast you could go. Um, Like just the way, just the, it was such a different feel, you know, it just kind of like took a familiar wave and just added a little spice to it. And uh, I didn't stop shortboarding at the time, but it opened my eyes. So then later, you know, I have a muscular dystrophy. I have a disability that Causes all the muscles in my body, not all of them, but most of them, to get weaker. So as I started losing the ability to surf, that experience opened my mind to, well, I'll ride, you know, bigger shortboards. And then when I couldn't do that, I switched to sup, you know. And then I, when I couldn't stand up on subs anymore, I switched to to bodyboards, which was really weird being from California from that era. <laughs> you know, I was like, dude, you know, bodyboards. I'd never even ridden a bodyboard at that point, and. Um, So I, but where I was living at the time in French Polynesia and Tahiti, the waves are really well suited for bodyboards and almost equal number of bodyboarders as surfers sometimes. So it wasn't seen as this weird thing. And so I was kind of like, you know, not insecure about that. Not that I should be, but I was, and, uh, just had so much fun on the bodyboard. And then when I started losing the ability to kick on a bodyboard, I started playing with wave skis. So now I'm a kook starting all over again from strats on these wave skis, which are like Kind of like kayak surfboards kind of and some people rip on them and um, not me yet but i'm getting there and we had a we had a fun session that one day that small day and that was a that was a perfect like example like long lined up kind of you know soft point break with nobody out you know except for us like on our butts like wiggling around having a fucking blast a freaking blast you know
1: no that was awesome man that was that was the first time on the on the wave ski and man what a what a good time that is right
0: yeah, it's everything another, was great about that, except like how good you were ripping on right off the bat. And I it took me like a month, you know. I was like, God damn it, this kid's like <laughs> I'm gonna get some <laughs> skills before I come back, you know.
1: That was oh, fun. Yeah, no, that was a good time, man. So for so, for for people out there that, that aren't familiar, uh, what is muscular dystrophy? If you don't mind kind of giving us a rundown all. of what that is and you know how
0: sure. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of different Diseases that are under that umbrella of muscular dystrophy, and they're they're differentiated by the way that they present their symptoms, right? So ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, that everybody's heard of, that's a kind of muscular dystrophy, but that's a really fast progression, always fatal, like kind of a really gnarly, heavy one. Then there's the one that all the kids get, like Jerry's kids, if those of you who know the Jerry Lewis telephone. And that's usually Duchenne's, which affects children, and by the time they're in their 20s, most of them are, are um, pretty severely uh, impacted, lots of disability involved with that. I have a kind called FSH, which is uh, usually affects um, people in their, in their early 20s, mid to 20, early to mid-20s is when it starts for most people. It's inherited, it's genetic, but... Um, your parents don't always have to show symptoms. Like some people barely have any symptoms. Other people get to the point where they're very severely impacted by it relatively quickly. I'm kind of in the middle with my progression in terms of the speed of loss. But at this point, I'm 51 now, and I can't I can't run. I can't really jump. I can't um, like lift my leg behind me. Like if I'm lying on my on my stomach on the ground, I can't bend my knees to bring my feet up into the air. You know, I can't stand on my toes. I can't lift my arms up over shoulder high. Uh, I can't do a single push up or a single sit up. I can't do a pull up, but I have strong grip. Like I can hang from a pull up bar for almost forever, but I can't do a single pull up, you know? So it's sort of like, it's not evenly distributed. So I don't have any abs. Um, I don't have very many wrinkles on my face because that's just one of the, I guess, the benefits of the disease, but it doesn't do anything to the gray and the beard. Um, so, you know, and the thing that's weird about my disability is that it's constantly changing. It never gets better. I might, I might gain some function in an area that if I'm not trained, if I haven't been training for a while, I might gain a little bit of fitness for whatever's left in that muscle. But at some point I will become weaker for sure. Like, you know, and you don't know when. So there's been times where I've gone out, like for example, when I was, this is actually exactly what happened in the water with surfing. I could ride, I had this board. It was sort of my last chance shortboard. It was like, I think like a six, eight, it was pretty wide and, and really thick, like three, three and a half, something like this. And, uh, it had like kind of a little bit of a, of a paddleboard nose, like rolled through the bottom on the nose to, to try to, it was all about just let me ride shortboards just a little bit longer, you know? And, uh, there was a period of time for about two weeks where it was really flat and there's so I was kind of doing other stuff, kiting and sailing or whatever. And then um, I went to my cousin's wedding in Florida. There was a hurricane swell, so I was like, "Oh, great! I'm going to get to surf a hurricane swell." It's been a while, you know. So I brought the board, and I couldn't couldn't get up on a single wave. And I didn't know why at first, but I realized it, you know, soon after that I had lost the ability to pop up. I couldn't I couldn't push up quick enough to get to my feet. So. That happened in a period of a few weeks, you know, between kind of sort of being able to get up to not being able to get up at all. The same thing happened with SUP. I was, you know, surfing stand-up and I was, you know, I, mean, I rode a SUP at Mavericks. Like, I could ride a SUP. I'm not Mavericks, sorry. <laughs> Todos in Mexico on a, on a not a huge day, a smaller day. This isn't a flex, you know, but it was just like, it was a real wave. It was a wave. What? Hey, he's flexing,
1: folks. Yes. I was, you know, <laughs> back in my day, you know, when we would, you know, <laughs>
0: But, uh, you know, my point being is that that I, I... yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, I heard it's an Isla, right? And I, what do you call it? No, but yeah, I could, (laughs) I, you know, I, I, whatever. It was like, it was, uh, it's a, it was, it's fun when it's not big too. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So I was out there on one of those days and, um, but then soon after that, I no longer had the muscles to stabilize myself standing and I just couldn't stand on the board. I just would fall over. Did, I just thought, wow, I'm kind of having an off day. And after multiple repeated episodes of that, I realized it's just it's just done. So, you know, the same things happened for me with kiting, with aspects of sailing, with um, swimming. You know, my swimming's much slower now. Body surfing, I couldn't, like, I would body surf all the time, but then at some point I couldn't hold my hand in front of me, you know, so I could only body surf kind of head first, Superman style, you know, with my arms at my side, um, which, you know, leads you to getting pile driven into the ground a bunch of times and I can't put my hand out to, def, you know, so you just, you have to adapt and you have to, uh, adjust. And I try to, um, wave skis are the latest, the latest, uh, manifestation of that, of that process.
1: That's awesome, man. And you just, I mean, you just, you're getting after it. That's, that's the main thing. I remember when you were talking with the kids, you know, about that, that same process of, you know, well, oh, I can't, I can't, uh. Can't stand up now, so now I'm going to do stand up paddling. You know, and I can't stand up paddle, so now I'm so that's amazing, yeah. man. I think I think that's a good a good men- mentality to have. And um, what 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 kind of got you into? So I just want to kind of shift gears here a little bit. What what got mm-hmm. you into the into one EMS and two into the RWC um, being the head of the RWC operations on the big wave world tour? Like how did how did that whole
0: how did that all progress? Yeah. Um, the EMT stuff and the EMS stuff uh, yeah. w- began initially. I was I was teaching water sports at this facility in San Diego. And one day we were doing a water skiing program for people with disabilities. This was before my disability had really progressed much. I was still on shoreboards, I was still running, all that. And we were the whole concept was is they would sit in this kind of like a like a sit-down water ski. That had little outriggers on it, and for people who had a really high level of, of spinal cord injury, so they were almost completely paralyzed. And there was a woman on the ski who probably shouldn't have been there. And what we would do is, it was a uh, everyone was was pretty highly trained because it was a water ski facility. Also, uh, Coast Guard license, everyone had CPR, first aid, but it wasn't advanced medicine. It was just that level, and. Uh, we were all like lifeguard certified, but not like ocean lifeguard, just the basic Red Cross stuff. So anyways, we had, uh, PWCs at the time and we were like personal watercraft jet skis, you know, and we would follow behind and we had, this was before sleds. So we had developed this, we called it the John Wayne technique where the driver would hold his arm down in the water and the person in the water, the rescuer would face them and hold up their arm, grab it and like swing onto the back of the ski, like in a Western when they would swing someone onto the back of their horse.
1: You know? Wow. So that this was the without, way we would, this is without sleds. You're you're without pulling sleds. the person onto the jet ski.
0: Well, this is you'd pull the rescuer up. There was this isn't how you would pull like a victim up.
1: No, but you would but, pull the rescuer instead of putting him onto the sled or him or her, you would right. put him onto the onto right. the actual jet ski like a horse. Right.
0: We would run two crew and this is before this is in flat water. This is you know, water skiing stuff. So what we would do is if somebody fell. You wouldn't, nowadays, you'd go up and you'd kind of bump the sled around and they'd jump on and you do your thing, right? Or if you have a rescuer, they take them, put them on the sled, hold them in position, and you transport on the ski, right? But back then, the ski was just a fast way to get a rescuer on scene. So if somebody would fall, you'd come in with the ski at full effing throttle. I mean, there was, you know, wide open. And then the rescuer would jump off and do this, like, Navy SEAL, cross your arms, cross your legs thing hit the water at like 60, whatever just boom and if you timed it right, you'd hit the water feet first and then it would whip you forward to take two or three strokes to get to the victim. and then you could stabilize the victim. So you're on scene like that, you know but a big wave kind of goes over the victim you know and the idea was well, they're not doing well anyways. get someone there to open the airway and they can deal with a wave. So then you stabilize the person in the water and, and do what you got to do but then to transport, you'd have to bring a proper boat over like a, or a, a, a board, like a rescue board to paddle them in. But in this case, the ski boat would come and then we'd have to lift them into the ski boat and then do our thing. But because one person – and then when they start off skiing, this outrigger thing is kind of unstable at, at when it's just stationary. So one of the rescuers or assistants, whatever you want to call them, would hang behind the ski. And the person would go, okay, I'm ready. And, the, and then the, you know, the rescuer would signal thumbs up. The, the nautique, the ski boat, would floor it. So you're hanging behind this thing, just, <laughs> just getting like keel hauled behind this outrigger thing until they're stable. Then you let go. One of, the, one of the rescuers and their ski are following right behind. The other ski comes, picks you up. So you're like half dead from dragging behind this thing. They John Wayne you onto the ski. Then it's wide open throttle to get you know, into the second position. So when there's a fall, when there when something happens, that first ski does the rescue, and then they become the drag person, and you take point, and so you're rotating, you know? So anyways, we're doing this nutball, insane asylum version of, of water skiing, and uh, one of the victims didn't have the ability, they were paralyzed so high, they didn't have the ability to protect their airway. So she inha- inhaled water, basically, you know, and... um went out, Nick, like turned blue cyanotic, you know, the, ski, the lips turned blue, the fingers turned blue, like was, was stopped breathing. So we're like, Oh shit. You know, we, I was first guy in. So I, I jumped off the ski, did my Navy seal thing, stabilized the victim, and then called for the rescue boat, the, the um, not rescue boat, but the ski boat came over, hauled her into the boat. I jumped in and myself and one of the, the people in the ski boat was doing CPR all the way to shore. And by the time we got her to shore, we got pulse back and we got, um, breathing back and then we lost it again, got it back again. And then the, um, by that time EMS had arrived and took him away. And I felt, um, it, it was gnarly cause I had to do the respirations. We didn't have a mask. So it was straight mouth to mouth. And this is a big kind of gnarly, you know, woman who's like foam in the whole thing, you know, like the, the, all, all the like gross stuff they talk about in EMS was happening and you just wipe it away and go. And it, it was no issue. It didn't hesitate, did it. And, um, was very, it was a good feeling. I felt a sense of pride and a sense of, um, purpose that I had had the training to, to be able to provide help. And that I, that was the first time I realized that I'm, I'm, I, you get like, I get into a mindset and I think that People who thrive in careers like EMS, it's something that they just have or they don't. And you can learn it a little bit, but some people do well under pressure like that. They, they become heightened and more focused. And if they have training, they're able to execute it. Other people trip up. And even if they're trained, maybe they doubt themselves or they're trying to remember the training instead of just trusting the training or whatever it is. And it's just not the right job for them. But it was for me. So fast forward a number of years i'm no longer working at this place it's much later and i was uh, racing bikes on a velodrome you know the bike track where you go in circles really fast mm-hmm. uh there's brakes the bikes don't have brakes they don't have gears you can't coast you have to always pedal and their crashes are gnarly because everyone stacks up and the wheels are still spinning so the pedals are still moving and their sprockets are still grinding so basically you're lying on concrete sliding along with metal pokey things spinning around everywhere it's like something out of a horror movie they're gnarly. They're bad, bad crashes when they happen. So I was there and a bad crash happened. And I had that first day training and experience. And I jumped in and sort of, you know, it's, it's, in, in, in the realm of EMS stuff, it wasn't a big deal. But it seemed like a big deal as a civilian, you know, responding to this thing. And I had that feeling again. And when, they, when the EMTs responded or the medics that responded to that call, and they were doing their thing and packaging them up. And there was nobody who was critical. They could take their time and do it. So I pulled one aside and I was like, hey, tell me a little bit about this job. You know, like, what's, what's the deal? Where do I apply? <laughs> you know, I was like, "This, this I could do this. Uh, one thing led to another. It started off BLS, basic life support, just transports from the nursing home to the hospital and back. Uh, eventually, in San Diego at the time, they called it bridging, where you get some additional training and now you're starting to work. On an advanced life support ambulance with a paramedic, and you're working out of the fire station under San Diego Fire chain of command and uh, wearing San Diego Fire basically uniforms and same apparatus and same. So it was really, that's when you're actually in the EMS system, and I loved it. I just, it's just, it was for me, and I did it as long as I had the strength to. And then when I didn't have the strength to anymore, uh, you have to leave. You can't just be an instructor, you have to also be field certified, you know. Uh, so when I was, I, I, I could still do CPR, but it was getting harder. And I didn't want to wait until I couldn't do it. Um, I didn't, I'm not going to put somebody else at risk just for my own pride and ego or whatever. So I, I pulled myself out of the field uh, after about 10 years of, of EMS.
1: Okay. Really glad I did it. That's awesome, man. And uh, so how'd you get in? How'd you get involved with the, the big wave world tour then?
0: That is one of those things where you just, know what you need to do next and you just go all in on doing it and the adventure unfolds you know so for me um i after triathlon and cycling when i couldn't run anymore and i was paddleboarding full-time i was doing it well enough and with my story to be able to get some sponsorships which led to some ability to travel and do some competitions and get some exposure which leads to sponsor better sponsors. anyways long story short a sponsor got me a jet ski a pwc to be able to access the concept was i could access waves that were difficult to get to if you don't have strong legs and tow uh, toe surf so i could i could whip into waves that that really aren't conducive for for supping especially at the time when supping was new and maybe i could whip in on a shortboard because you don't have to pop up and paddle on a wave when nobody else is out even if it's not huge uh, you know these aren't like you know like te-ahi kind of toe ins you know <laughs> i was just It was just, you know, fun, fun stuff, but I could ride a shortboard again. That was the concept. So we developed a modified windsurfing harness that had a quick release on it. So I didn't have to hold on my arm strength. Then it would pull me up and I would release the line whip into these waves and then I could surf and it was, it was epic, but I needed to learn how to drive this thing in the waves. So I was like, well, who's the best, you know, sort of surf PWC operator at the time. And this is kind of, it wasn't new, but it was new ish. It wasn't one of these things where everyone had a ski. It was kind of like, if you had a ski and a sled, you were kind of specialized a little bit at this point. Uh, so I found Sean Eladio from K38, who at the time was the running the rescue team for the big wave world tour. So at that time, the events were totos basically it was totos. It was the refit totos. Everyone knows the refit totos, you know, and Carlos Burley had that, the big famous wave at the refit totos. So she was the the rescuer. And, and she worked, actually, there was an event at Maverick. She worked with, um, I forget his name, some guy, but there were, maybe it wasn't an event. It was just a free surf, but there was, there was, um, it was like some famous day where the sets just got bigger and bigger and bigger and they had to go further out, further out, further out. All the surfers were gone at that point, but her and this other guy were kind of caught out on this, you know, bigger than ever biggest day in history, kind of one of those stories, you know? Yeah. So she had this reputation. She's legit and she's gnarly. And knows her shit. And I was like, let's, let's contact her long shot. Let's just see. So I told her the story. I've got this disease and here's my strength. And here's my, my background in the ocean and with EMS. And would you please let me train with you? I'd like to learn how to do this stuff. So Sean's a little bit of um, she's a little mischievous. She's ultra alpha. I was working with a, a Navy SEAL guy a couple weeks ago. And I said, Hey, do you know Sean Eladio? Cause she trains the SEALs. And he's like, he's like, Oh yeah, she's, She's more alpha than we are. Like, you know, it's just like nothing but respect and a little bit of fear in his eyes, you know, from from his experience with her. She's just nuts, you know, but backs it up with skill and with good judgment and the rest. Nothing but respect for Sean. Respect and love. So, anyways, long story short, she goes, Yeah, I've got a training program. We'll squeeze you into it. It's in Oceanside. Come on down. Here's the date and here's where to go. It's on Camp Pendleton, but don't worry about that. They'll let you in. I said, okay, great. So I went down and I was not all ready, you know, I was trained up and uh, I, I, long, long, long story short, what she did was, is she was training the Marine Special Forces, the Force Reconnaissance Battalion guys. And she had arranged, uh, they gave her permission or whatever to allow me to sit in on the class. So she basically knew that I had a surfing background, like a, I could read the ocean, uh, and knew that these guys, a lot of them, not so much, but they're super strong and capable and they learn really quick. So she was engineering a situation where when we got to the surf zone stuff, they were going to get obliterated at first because they're just going to try to power through everything. But I could kind of like finesse through it and and like kind of out, out-operate them a little bit, you know. But they could – as soon as they learned it, it wasn't, even a, it wasn't even close. You know, they could run all day long, all night long, lift, you know, giant heavy people up with one hand and just – they were just gnarly, like insane, you know. But – she she sort of a little bit it would be fun for me to do the training and a little bit it was so that they would have the opportunity to see like look there's finesse involved in operating a ski in the surf zone it's not just muscle and power and go go more it's not always more you know uh, so that was that was epic I trained with them uh, it was I forget like a week long or something it was day and night we were doing like midnight ops and you know go offshore until you can't see any lights and then. They would clear you to come in and then you'd come in with just chem sticks and these like formations. And it was like, it was super cool. There was no guns and stuff. It was all, it was all rescue and water safety based stuff, but they did unbelievably well because they're, they're team oriented They understand the value of training. They're not in a hurry to, um, just like, okay, I know this one, teach me the next one. They're like, okay, I know this one, but it's not perfected yet. So I'm going to do it 300,000 times, then teach me the next one. And, uh, I, cause, cause people's lives are going to be at stake and that training approach stuck with me. Uh, I really respect it and learned from it. Uh, and you know, of course, by the time I was done with that, like I could drive a ski, you know? So, so Sean, from that experience, we started, she, she kind of took me under her wing with, they do racing. So they do races from like Long Beach to Catalina Island and back like open ocean, just just wearing all this, like. BMX body armor stuff, you know, and the full motorcycle helmets. Cause you hit these waves and your head whips down into the helm, you know, and, uh, you put like multiple GPSs taped onto the helm because half of them fail from the impacts, you know, <laughs> it was just like, I like damaged my tailbone, you know, people's skis were just sitting, it was just gnarly. Uh, you know, so, but it was super fun. And, you know, I wasn't on the like souped up, 320 horsepower like psycho skis you know mine was just a little 140 horsepower normally aspirated thing um but it was in that same circle of people so it was was really fun to train with them and ride with them and learn from them uh so that that's the that was my supposedly short answer as to how i got involved in in skis
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's cool man so then from there so she was she was head of operations with the the big wave world tour so from she there, did you, did you start to, did she offer you a job with the big wave world yeah. tour or, or how did that yeah.
0: progress? Uh, kind of. Back then, the team wasn't um, as cohesive as it is now. So what they would do back then was they combined the people who do the pickups and the people who were the rescuers. It was all just one team. Mm. So you're running the entire time, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up. And then if there's an emergency, you're also handling the the c- acute situations as well. So you're... You're tired by the end. You're just worked, you know, and, and um, not to go too deep down that rabbit hole. My involvement was uh, typically she would go to a region, take the best sort of operators, free surf operators from that region, and then they would compose the team. And whether they had rescue training or not, they were all experienced drivers in big wave conditions, and they knew surfing, so they knew how to not, you know, like send wake across a, a clean wave you know for no reason like just stuff like that you don't think about how to not get in the way of the camera boat which actually matters at a contest you know how to uh, and they the other competitors respected and trusted them because they had worked together in these environments they had surfed together but they didn't have any of their rescue skills so sean was like the rescue person kind of and if it needed to be done and and these other people were just really good operators would sort of back her up and and it worked pretty well. They've had they had some legit rescues, and um, at, so she invited me up for one of those things. So it was Mavericks, and uh, I was I wasn't a primary at all for sure. Like by far, like half the event, I had a uh, cameraman on my ski, you know, but but uh, was part of it. And I was like the backup, and if something went down, cameraman's off, and I'm in, you know. Um, so fortunately, I didn't have to do a lot of of actual wasn't in the pit much at that event you know but enough to to get to kind of pop my cherry you know in, in, under the under the pressure but again that that EMS mindset I think Sean recognized that ability to operate under those kinds of conditions she knew my capabilities she knew the training I had had and my ability to execute that training under pressure uh, so then it was just a matter of operating in the surf zone and you know in, in that kind of environment I didn't have a lot of big wave experience so that was sort of where I started cutting my teeth in that. And really it's, it's not, it is different for sure, but the timing between waves isn't that much different than it is on like a 20 second interval day on six feet. You know what I mean? You still got 20 seconds, you know, the consequences are just much, much bigger if it doesn't work out. So it's just, you know, the, the timing and the operations are the same. The pressure is different Uh, and, and the advantage that I get along with people. Long story short, um, after that event, the big Wave World Tour was starting to posture for for, for the WSL and they'd added some more events and there was um, changes in insurance and in, in permitting for venues and so forth and they had to they had to up the standards of the, of the rescue team. They needed at a minimum CPR and first aid and, you know but they, they wanted these minimum standards in order to for the insurance and, and the rest. And Sean, you know, didn't have those. And, and I don't even, honestly, like she, her level of operation in most cases was a level beyond that. So it would have been a little bit jumping through hoops and Sean's just not going to jump through hoops, you know, if you know her, it's her, it's her way. And, um, I don't have any judgment whether that's good or bad, but it does leave you in a position where you can't work for a group like WSL. Um, so they asked me, knowing my background in EMS and my contacts and I, you know, at that time I'd been through the lifeguard Academy and, and had, had done some other stuff. And so they uh, said, Hey, can you, can you do it? And I said, well, I think that what we need to do is split the team so that we have the assist team and we have the rescue team. So the assist team are the same guys who've been doing these events all along doing the pickups. They're the, like a chairlift with, with a little bit of an added bonus of skill. Right? So, they're the ones running constantly doing, doing your standard pickups. Uh, And they're the guys who know the brakes the best, know the other surfers and, um, and they're just really good at that. And then we have the EMS rescue team, which are skill trained operators who are familiar with that environment and could do pickups, but let's keep them fresh. Let's keep them ready. And they're the ones who can go in and handle an acute situation. So if there was a trauma, if there was, um, an unresponsive victim. If it was a multiple casualty, if a boat drifted in, whatever it was, we were the ones in. So we would go in for the gnarly stuff. Um, they would signal to us if, and we would we would come and take over if there was time for that, or they would transfer over to us, pick up, and then transfer over if they assessed, you know, on scene that that it needed a higher level of care, and that was us. So we we were like the team was was really good. We had um, a Coast Guard helicopter rescue swimmer, which is wow. like like the highest level that you can get in terms of, of ocean rescue. Really. Uh, we yeah. had a number of full-time lifeguards from San Diego. Um, we had a firefighter lifeguard paramedic from, San, from Oceanside who's still on the team now to this day. Uh, Chad Cox, epic, epic guy. Um, yeah. I'll tell you some stories another time, but epic, just a <laughs> great guy, really good operator and um, reliable and, and, and um, just, just a stud, you know? So we had the team had this level, and then a couple of guys who weren't operators. They didn't know how to. They didn't have the driving skill set at the time, but but were re- like the top waterman guys from a rescue standpoint, like top lifeguard guys who who worked at you know places like Blacks Beach or uh, Big Rock, you know, like wa- waves that are kind of heavier waves, and they had a lot of experience. Yeah. So what they would do is we'd put them on the sled. If there was a victim that was unresponsive, the first ski would come in, drop them off. They would stabilize and take hits with this person just to keep them afloat. This is before rescue vests and all the other stuff. So they'd be wearing like just a a PFD, you know, a regular uh, life jacket. Uh, And then they would come in, grab the victim. So now you have these inflatable vests. Back then we were the vest, you know? So we were just basically bear hugging and crossing legs around the victim, protecting the airway and then rendering aid as needed in between sets while you wait for the
1: ski. Taking whitewaters on the head
0: taking hits. Yeah. Just taking <laughs> hits. That's it. And then when the ski comes and picks up, if the person is able to, if the victim is able to, we call them customer. know, if they're able to get onto the sled, they're out with the ski and the swimmer is still taking hits <laughs> unless there happens to be another sl- ski right there to, to grab them. Yeah. So, but these guys, one of them, one of the guys who was just a just a stud was Roger Eels, um, from San Diego lifeguard, full-time San Diego lifeguard. And he's, he's a totos guy. He's, he's one of the totos like main guys, you know? And, um, so he was, he loved it. He was, he was in his element, just on fire. And, uh, thank you, sir. I have another, like he's in, he's in, let's go, come on. Let's just, just let's do it anyways. You know, (laughs) like he was, he was that guy. Um, so anyway, so that was the EMS rescue team. So I, I ran that team, which consisted mainly of just scheduling and training and, um, helping develop the standards and stuff like that. It wasn't because I was like the best guy on the team. I was just the guy who like was willing to do the paperwork. Uh, but we trained together and we were good. We were a good team. And the standard I told the guys always from day one was when I could no longer get Jim Jimbo, Jim Lockwood, the big boy. He was a full-time lifeguard. He still is. He's retiring this year um, from San Diego. Epic operator and um, just a solid guy under pressure. And he was kind of the guy who could see the big picture and direct resources and and sort of manage uh, the other agencies that were responding. He was that guy, you know, he was really good at that. And he's just a stud in the water. So Jimbo, but he's a big dude, like a big dude. And um, the thing was, if I couldn't get him across across the seat on the PwC by myself within 10 seconds of of hitting him, then um, I was going to immediately pull myself off. I told everybody from day one, that was it. Um, and he would just, he was just dead weight in the water, just simulating being unconscious. And up until then, I could do it. No problem. We chose 10 seconds because that includes, uh, you know, egress and, and, um, like time to get in and time to get out the interval between, between sets theoretically. So if one of our guys was out, could I, or, or the biggest competitor we could imagine was out, would I be able to get them? onto the sled or under the ski and then out again, um, before the next set came and obliterated everybody. And one day we were training and I couldn't hit it. And I immediately, I didn't say, let me try it again. I didn't say, I'm not like some, my ego is not gonna get in the way. And I don't, and I, and I hope other people feel the same way when you gotta be able to separate it. Um, so I did, and I just, we went to the shore and I immediately said, guys, love you guys. This is, this was it. This was my last session with you. Um, I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it because it was such a rad group of guys, but I was like, that's it. I'm out. And um, Jimbo took over the team and uh, it evolved. They stayed on for a while. They did Lobos. They did another event Mavs. In fact, that team morphed into the WSL team. So like Chad Cox and those boys there and Jimbo, actually, they ran like the Trestles event, you know, so they're still, they're still running water safety. They did Portugal. Um, You might've even been out there with Chad and not known it, you know, so anyway, that, that's my, that's my EMS rescue team, you know, story. So I operated at a few of the events, uh, sent some boys to sent some of the crew to some of the events, um, help, helped develop along with, with the team, a lot of the, the sort of expanded on some of the earlier stuff that like Sean and, and, um, Keelana and Archie and those guys, you know, kind of took what they did and we modified a little bit. And then now your generation took that stuff and developed new equipment and, 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 uh, new techniques to take it even further. And it's super fun to see what you all are, are doing these days.
1: Wow, that's awesome, man. That was quite an experience. How, how long, how long, how long was that period that you were with uh, the WSL? Like from, from was, Sean was a couple of years, years, two or
0: three years. I, I don't remember exactly. I think it was, I bet,
1: I bet you got some crazy stories.
0: You know, I, you what's the the crazy
1: what's the craziest story you got? I know we talked about yeah. one about about the one down in Mexico,
0: you know, kind of you know Oh where Roger like, you didn't jump off the sled. That that's the best I got. Because honestly, I thought about this. You asked me, hey, think of some crazy stories, and I thought about it, thought about it, and I was like, you know, the whole idea like if I had a lot of crazy stories, I wasn't doing my job. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like oh, we that was, that was we great. operated with a massive margin of safety and, and we were pretty tight. And uh, there was some there were some traumas that were interesting from an EMS standpoint and, you know, but there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of like super gnarly, wow, I barely survived, which everybody gets all yeah, excited yeah. about. And, and when I hear those stories, a lot of times I'm like, yeah, someone effed up, you know, someone like that like shouldn't have happened, you know, oh. but um, in this case uh, the story you're talking about, it was, it was Roger that, that guy, the, the totos guy, who's a really good lifeguard swimmer. And he's um he was on my sled and, we were just warming up for the event it was it was a it was a at the time big wave world tour event at totos uh so we were just driving just just doing laps through the surf zone and just kind of getting our bearings and getting the feel for the ski and you know getting loose and there were some people warm up surfing and one guy went down um and he was kind of in a bad spot so we did the pickup and uh, the the water was super aerated there was a lot of foam so I, the pump wasn't hooking up with with everybody on board and you know this wall of white water. You know what I'm talking about. Was coming towards me, and, and I was like, "Okay, guys, you got to jump off. You're just gonna have to take this one, and I'll come. I'll circle around and grab you." You know, and um, so Roger's off right away. Doesn't even hesitate. Yeah, let's do it. I think he was probably like looking <laughs> forward to it. But the surfer's like, "F no!" Like he's just not the guy you want working in EMS. I'm not gonna say who it was, but he was he's a, a known guy. But we were kind of getting closer t- to an area where you don't want to be, and he wasn't particularly happy about ju- the idea of jumping off the sled. So. At the, at the, I don't know why he did this, but he was way back on the sled. So if this is the ski and this is the sled, he was doing like this and was lifting up the back, of the stern of the sled a little bit. So the pump really wasn't catching; it was just just cavitating, you know. And then you come off the throttle, try to hook up, dude, again, and just wasn't going. And I'm like, dude, get off off the. Th-. You know I mean? I'm like, get just swim, you know, come on, you know. And he's like white knuckled on the sled and. Then, Dang, you know, that was that. And, um, I managed to hold on to the helm. Uh, we got just rocked, you know, but I managed to hold on. Uh, you know, but like the cowling was off the front of the ski and it was flooded and all the usual crap, you know? So we had to write that and I was, got it started. I was able to get out and pump it out and we kept operating. No problem. But that's about the craziest story I've got. You know, it's, there was, there was another, there was like stuff that wasn't like probably the gnarliest, heaviest, thing that we did at that contest was getting the judges onto the island. And that's just because you take them in on this little side cove where there's no channel. It's just like death shore pound, you know, it's a big, big swell day and it's, it's on the side. So you're just getting wrapped swell. It's not full size, but it's still big enough at that interval and you have to take them in. And there's some rocks on the inside that when the, when it sucks back, the rocks are exposed. So you have to kind of come in on the back of one wave and then get to a place where you're clear spin, drop them off, and they're scrambling up the rocks like panicked, you know, with their dry bags with all their gear and stuff. And then you have to get out and punch through this and the, it was just it was just like from a operation standpoint, there wasn't any margin of error and it was kind of fun because there's like a lot of obstacles and really dynamic current and sort of swell situation to operate in. So that was that was really kind of the like the most you know like, you know, like out, out in the actual lineup you might take a hit or two but okay whatever you know hold your breath <laughs> you know what i mean but yeah. but there you're you know <laughs> a, little, a little bit different so it was kind of um that was fun that was a good one yeah and the the i remember like it was like eh, whatever it was a fun one that was a good one
1: that's awesome <laughs> man what about what about setting up some of these events down in in places like puerto escondido or, or places where they might not have the the infrastructure that we have here in, in mm-hmm. California or whatever. What's what's that kind of process like? I know I read on an article that you shared with me a while back talking yeah. about that exact process, right? Of like creating yeah, an EMS I, system out of essentially nothing, right? Out of nothing. <laughs> yeah.
0: I would I was more of a logistics support for those events. I wasn't the physically strongest guy on the team. So we would send the guys who are better most best for that situation. So if it was a situation where it was like a really strong currents and things like that, we'd send the best swimmers. If it was a place where there was no EMS system, we would send the highest medical trained people in addition to the swimmers and operators. You know, we would sort of pick from our strengths for that location, who spoke the local language, uh, who you know, was familiar with that break. And then we would put the team together from there because they didn't have the resources in those locations to field the full team, right? So one example was uh, Punta Lobos, you know, in Chile, Mm. we only could send two guys. So we sent Jimbo, Mm. big Jimbo, because, you know, he's just a stud and a good operator and and, um, just because he's Jimbo. And then we sent uh, Chad Cox, that guy I was telling you about, who's the medic, because he's a medic. So he sort of smuggled down um, a lot of ALS level medications and, you know, uh, tools and things that you would use and kind of coordinated with the local equivalent of EMS and uh, put together an action plan. Like here's the exfil point. Here's where we'll pick people up. Uh, here's where you'll take them. Every, you know, He had all, all of the contact information for everybody. They had it already on the EMS side so that there wouldn't be a scramble to figure out where people were or what was going on with them. Um, they uh, were working with the local lifeguards sort of for transfers for the less acute, if there was a multi-casualty for, like, they really did a great job. They handled it extremely well. And they had enough IV fluids left over from the, there's a, a legendary story about the party at that event and Chad's efforts to resuscitate everybody the next morning you know, he was, <laughs> after that, that was, that was it. That was when Chad became everybody's favorite, you know, rescue guy, whatever it was after that party. Um, yeah, he's, he, uh, helped them out. Helped them out. Yeah.
1: That's good, man. What?
0: It was all in all legal ways. It was all yeah, legal and in all uh, legal ways. Yeah, it was Just all getting legal. everyone rehydrated. I don't know. You got to got to keep drinking. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that sounds like a hell of an experience, man. That must have been a amazing
0: amazing period of time, right there. It was. Um, I'm I'm unbelievably grateful I got to do it. I'm sad that it was cut short. Uh, or not cut short. It lasted as long as it could last. Uh, I'm really proud that I got to work with the team that I got to work with. Not proud because I was a Rescue guy. At the time, I was a little bit. I'm a rescue guy. It was pretty cool. You know, people thought that was cool. But really, um, it was just felt great to work with a team that was that professional and that motivated and that um, uh, skilled. You know, and each brought their own stuff. Nobody was like my way or my way is the best way. Everybody, there was a lot of respect, and um, it was a great. And I miss that. And the same, same, similar for EMS you know, the experiences in EMS and, you know, this, your lifeguard, uh, you know, you miss some, some guys are kind of uh, more rewarding to work with and, and girls than others. Um, this team was, was all the good, none of the bad, you know, oh, That's, that's and, and I got to spend a lot of time with Sean, which was just nutballs. I'm glad I survived it. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, made, you made it through, man. You want to hear a crazy Sean really? story? Since since we're talking stories, let's hear a crazy Sean story, man. Short short story. We were doing that that race from Long Beach to Catalina and back, mm-hmm. and um, she was she was doing well. She was near the near the lead in this race, and she came into Long Beach Harbor and hit cross chop from a freighter or something that was going out and got launched off of her ski. And when she did, she kept holding onto the helm. And she actually ripped the helm off of the ski, so boom, this gnarly wipe out right in front of the safety boat because you know. So they run over to her and they're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Like, here, don't move. You know, we'll, we'll check you out. She's like, F that. Like, I'm doing really good in the race and I've only got a couple miles to go. And they're like, well, your ski's broken. She's like, no. So she hung off the back of the ski because she still had a throttle. The helm broke off, but the cable was still intact to the throttle. So she hung off the back of her ski, taking the full hit of the, of the jet, you know, the, the thrust from the jet prop um, and just pinned the throttle and used her body as the rudder to steer. And finished the race. Finished the last couple of miles. No way. And placed. And yeah. placed. And placed. She's so. Th- so strong. this is
1: literally just a race, like pinning it on a on a jet ski as fast as you can go across the ocean.
0: Yeah, and like how, how many <laughs> hits can you take? You line up, and they say go, and you just go fast as you can, and then you go around a buoy fast as you can, and whoever <laughs> is still on their ski at the end wins. You know. <laughs> sounds like it sounds Sports. like a hell of a sport, man. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know why I did it. Like th- I did that race twice, and then another one. But I don't know why. Like in retrospect, after the last one, I got bounced off, landed on my tailbone, had to get X rays, I was like, f this. You know, I was done after that. Yeah, no, that's that sounds brutal, man. But, but it was fun. You'd like it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, well, it sounds it sounds great. I don't know, though. Uh, to be honest, jet skis get a little intimidating in certain situations, going real fast like that. So
0: I'm sure I would do it. It'd be fun. Yeah, it, well, you know, you, you don't just go do it cold, you know. How are you it's, doing on right time? Uh, I'm, I'm,
1: whatever you call it. Cool. Yeah, we're we're almost at about an hour, but I, I want to talk a little bit about about sailing. So, mm-hmm. got a nice little long list of accomplishments with sailing. Would, would uh-huh. what's uh, what's that been like? My my father was a big sailor. I, I never quite got yes. into sailing, but I know you've sailed. You know, kind of all over the place, really. Yeah. Well, we, that's how you, I that's how you met John,
0: right? Over in, were you in yeah. Tahiti when you met John? Yeah. I was on a catamaran called Kiapa Nui, mm-hmm. and he was on the sister cat named Kiapa. Okay. And uh, we were next door to each other, next you know, anchored next to each other. So awesome. great guy. Uh, sailing, I grew up sailing, taught sailing a lot in my 20s and the 30s. Started competing, had some success with that. Um, left that to, to take a little 38-foot boat with my wife and a friend of ours, and we sailed uh, from San Diego down Mexico up into the Sea of Cortez down to mainland and then jumped across to the Marquesas Islands in French Polynesia. So 20, mm-hmm. 21-day open ocean passage and then spent the next 10 years uh, exploring French Polynesia, you know, the islands of Tahiti. That's awesome. Just sold the boat a month ago, roughly. Okay. The second boat. We got a catamaran after this monohull. But... Yeah, whatever you want to know about that. Um, you know, well, just as far as there
1: are there any, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's, there's plenty of stories to talk about. Were there any, any uh, <clears throat> notable memories from, from that trip? Yeah, it doesn't yeah, even need and- to be necessarily crazy. It could be whatever. Well, I was, I was talking Cra- about crazy thing. stories encouraged.
0: There's, there's endless stories about, you know, the, the empty perfect waves. And, you know, reefs where you're diving, where fish have never seen humans and, you know, things that broke and storms and all that. There's all the normal stuff that everyone's heard. They don't, I was talking to my wife, Nicole, and I was like, man, what stories? And she's like, oh, tell, tell this one. I was like, oh, okay. And it was the story of how we got our crew to go across from Mexico to the Marquesas Islands. And then, you know, what happened? So we were um, we were in Mexico and we were checked out of the country already. We were ready to go. It was just Nicole and I. But Two people on a 21 day passage is gnarly because someone has to be awake 24 hours a day. And we were like, that's brutal. It sure would be great to have another crew, but who are we gonna get? And it's So we were resigned to do just the two of us. And then right then my phone dinged and it was a a woman who we had met a few weeks earlier surfing in Mexico um, from California, but she was on another boat and that boat wasn't gonna be able to do the passage that, that year. So she still wanted to do the passage and she's like, hey, are you all looking for crew by any chance? And I'm like, I don't know, come over. She was like, you know, in her young 20s at the time, really good looking girl, just super fun, friendly, just, you know, knew how to sail, like whatever. But I was like, come over, let's talk. Let's see if we're a good fit. So we're talking and, you know, it starts off with what would you do in this situation? How do you, you know, what kind of, how how are you going to be his crew, basically? Do you know what you're doing good enough? How are you going to fit into the crew? And then I just kept getting this vibe. She's from San Francisco. So at the end of the conversation, I was like, you know, I go, this is such a shit story to tell this story. Yeah, but I go, I go. you know, I go, um, my wife and I, I go, Nicole and I, sometimes when it's really warm, like, we like to sail naked, you know. And, and I'm like, is that going to be a problem? And she goes, oh, no, thank God. I thought I was going to have to wear clothes. And I was like, yes, this is going to be an epic 21 days. So anyways, that's my... That's my, that, that was a flex. That was totally a flex. That was a, that was a flex, <laughs> you know, man. That one was a flex. I'll own it. <laughs> um, but she was great because she's one of our best friends to this day. Um, and it was a great passage and all kinds of, you know, we got knocked down in the middle of the ocean. A big wave hit us and put the boat on its side. And, um, you know, we, we caught a giant tuna. I mean, there's all there's a million stories, but it was, you know, if you ever get the chance to do something like that, I highly recommend it. <laughs> it's... um. One of those things that I, you know, I could tell stories all night long, and and none of them would come close to touching what it actually was. It's it's hard to relate, but um, you can go to Two Afloat online and see some of the stuff. Two Afloat, T W O A F L O T. And that was your blog from. Yeah, we did like we did some YouTube videos for the the final. We started after a couple of years, you know, but. Um, and there's you won't see any of the surfing, but you'll see the places we went where we found the waves. You know, that's cool, man. Yeah, it was great. Um, one time uh, we found a cove in an island chain that I'm not going to name, and the surf was so good, and it was such a beautiful, pristine place. Um, I didn't go on shore for three months. I just went from the boat to the wave and back to the boat again. And really? Nicole went on shore a couple times to get food, but I, I didn't go on shore for three. Mo- we realized. We went on shore and I was like, wait, how long has it been? And we did the math. And it was three months to the day. Just from really? the boat to the wave, back to the boat. Boat wave, boat wave. Yeah. Eat, sleep, surf, repeat. 38 foot by 12 foot boat. Surf, eat. Every once in a while, a local would come by and throw a fish into the boat. So we'd have, you know, fresh fish. And fresh fish. Yeah. It was epic. That's awesome, man. Anyways. Hope those were. What the hell of a time. No, that's no, great,
1: man. What's, so what's next for, for Ryan Levinson? sounds like you've been you've been doing some, some schooling a
0: little bit. We sold the boat, which is brutal. Um, after 10 years, you know, I didn't live on land for 10 years. Um, so that's a huge change to go from having this, like, really sick performance catamaran and cruising around French Polynesia and all the rest to suddenly you're on land. Um, yeah big adjustment. So we are moving on land into Morea. It's an island right next to Tahiti. Um, And we're not sure what's next. So came to San Diego to visit Nicole's parents or California. And while we were here, I went down and I just nailed a bunch of instructor certifications for sailing. So looks like what I'll probably be doing is sort of teaching people who are um, getting in like at a higher level, like starting to want to do ocean passages or uh, kind of their own adventure sailing, uh, so they'll already know the very basics, and then I'm going to take them from basics to, you know, give them help them get the confidence and the skill set, and to, to go out there and hopefully do it safely and in a way that meets all ah. their expectations. So we'll see. That, that's probably what's that's next. cool, man.
1: So how do how do people how do people find you for that? Are you going to do it through an organization or is this
0: this your own? Is yeah, going to be your own endeavor. The best way to reach me, if you're in the United States, is through. Learn to Sail San Diego uh, or Aventura, which is in Dana Point, A-V-E-N-T-U-R-A, Aventura Sailing. Um, I'm sort of underneath both of them. And then also, if you're in French Polynesia or you want to do this in Tahiti, uh, there's Sail Tahiti, contact Sail Tahiti. And then it's in Tahiti on the boats. Uh, There's a whole bunch of really high-end catamarans. uh, And we'll go out there and, and we'll get at it. You know, uh, this won't be, uh, you'll learn it, but at the end, you'll know what you're doing and you'll have a great time. And, um, and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll take a, a bunch of, of years and pain off of the process of preparing for something like this. Yeah. That's the goal.
1: That's awesome, man. We'll figure out a way to, to put those, those links to those things so people can,
0: people can find you. Thanks Jack. And, and uh, to a float, obviously. To afloat. If anyone wants to reach me directly, I'm always available. Um, Salty Ryan one on Instagram, uh, Salty Ryan, the number one on Instagram or two afloat on Instagram. Um, I'm not always, sometimes like I'm in a place or a situation where I can't respond right away, but you will get a reply and um, you're not bothering me. Don't, don't worry about it. You might be bothering me, but I won't let you know. <laughs> Just do it I, won't, I won't let you know that I'm, you're bothering me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. For all intents and purposes. For all intents and purposes. Well, it's what been you, a pleasure. To come man. out. When am yeah, I going to come out? The real question is, yeah, yeah. Like,
1: Man, uh, the John, is a, John hit me a up last year. That was – so my thing, you know, with, with, the, with the, the Waterman's Academy here in Santa Cruz is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do it year-round, but the months of June, July, and August are pretty much off limits, which is, you know, it's unfortunate because there's good summertime swells during that time, but you know, it is what it is. So, any, you know, out, out of that season. April, May. Before April,
0: May. Is that a good time that's, to go? That's the best time, because it's end of cycling season. Um, yeah. Before your summer, the sometimes you might get a late season north down there, but you'll definitely start getting the – you won't get code red stuff, but you'll, yeah. you won't yeah you will have any trouble finding waves and waves to ride, fish to sea, you know, uh, coconuts. That coconuts. be awesome, man. Yeah, you're always I would, welcome. I would love to come down and join you on one of those. Well, and John. If he goes – like we can talk offline, but if John sails to where I think John's going to sail – get on the boat with John. You need to be there. It'll, okay. it'll, uh, it'll open your eyes. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, cool, man. We'll Do you, you have anything you want to, you want to add? Uh, just thank you. Not just for the podcast, obviously. Thank you for that, but, um, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for supporting me and the other athletes with disabilities. Um, I don't know if people know this, who follow your podcast, but you go down and you volunteer at these contests that are just for athletes with disabilities that, wouldn't happen without people like you doing it and certainly wouldn't nice. happen safely. And not only that, but, um, you know, I just called you up, John gave me your number and I was like, Hey, can you help me? And, you know, I'm going to brag about you, but you're like, yeah, let's, what, what do you need? And I was like, I can't carry my wave ski down the stairs and back up again, like done, let's go. You know? Uh, and, and that, um, you know, like when you're on a wave ski, not everybody's like, Hey, come surf with us. You know, <laughs> like, so not only were you, were you, uh, Super welcoming about that, without hesitation. But like you, you came from a genuine place. And when I see you teaching the kids, the next generation, I'm just like, man, this is epic because that general, like, it's you're you're not just it's spreading, you know. And that's the way that all of this changes for the better for everybody. So, you know, thanks, brother. You know, oh, yeah, you th- 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 my th- respect.
1: thanks for the thanks for the kind words, man.
0: Really enjoy
1: hanging out with you, bro. You know, and look, you're look forward to the next time now,
0: too. Yeah, me too. That's what um, I, mean, I mean, this is my hype man right here, folks. Next, not <laughs> even. Next time, um, like, uh, If you're missing a few teeth, you know, we'll know why. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That's a go. GoPro
1: in the mouth at Mavericks probably not a great idea. My friend's already right. done it though, so you know. How,
0: how bad? We'll can find it, out. How bad can it be? <laughs> the um, that first, that first, we'll find stuff. out. No. The first Mavericks event that I worked was when the GoPro version one first came out and they came up and they put them all over the skis. If you go online and you search, really? um, I'll send you the link, but you search Mavericks surf contest, um, like rescue or something like that. And you can see Sean put together this footage from the, from the event. I'll send you the link to it. It's like shot horribly. And it's got this dun, 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 music, you know, and it's like. <laughs> It's like me Garrett McNamara, Ryan Augustine, um, nice uh, Sean. It's just it, and it's uh, you know I'll send it to you. You'll see it. Anyone down there, Google it. It's worth it's worth watching if you want to see how the grandparents used to operate out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know? that's awesome. Man. So you just had them all kind of situated
0: everywhere to get see which one got the best best shot, and which ones were still on the and which ones and still yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> I think Sean kept. I think she stole. They they were all pissed at her because. She's like, I'm not giving these back. These are cool, you know. <laughs> like, so, um, yeah. I, I might have gotten her in trouble. I don't think so. It's been a while. Statue of Limitations is up. But, That's cool, man. So, yeah. which
1: one was that? Do you remember? Was that the 2010 contest
0: or 2000? It was the logo was orange on black, like black background, orange logo. It was okay, it was, was cool. before all the drama, and it was it was still Big Wave World Tour right okay. before it went WSL. Nicole, do you remember what year that was? The Mavericks. With Sean, not even close. This is we have an audience. Did my hey? hey.
1: <laughs> How are We're you? Like,
0: they're like, shut up already, dude. We want to eat. Yeah, eat some food. We'll, we'll let you guys get going.
1: We're already taking enough for your time. Not even. That's the fam. Nicole, hi Nicole.
0: Oh yeah, look at this shit. How's your dinner? What do you got? What do you got? Hey, Jack? I think all right. I got you a beat. Wow. Yeah,
1: you got me beat.
0: I'm, I'm fresh.
1: I mean, some cold, some cold rice and vegetables that I meal prepped a while ago. Well, you're hardcore. Seems like it. Seems like a good idea until you're eating cold rice. Five, <laughs> five
0: days in, you're like, wow, this meal prep wasn't that cool. Looked good on Instagram. It's great. Yeah, you looked hey. hardcore. <laughs> well, thank you. I really, honestly, thank you uh, for everything, always. Uh, thank and you man. for tonight, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing about tomorrow. Yeah. You know, what was it? Twenty-seven feet at thirty seconds, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be. You're you're gonna. Twenty. Yeah. the we'll,
1: day. We'll see, man. Twenty-one at sixteen on the outer buoy. It's been crazy. All these swells this year have been under forecasted. So, like we were talking before, it's usually over forecasted, right? Where it's we're still talking. Yeah. One, one second. No, you're good. You got to get
0: going. Oh, Jack. No. Um. He want Dave wants to ask you something. Yeah, Dave. Do you, do you ever um the uh. uh surf cam at mavericks did you ever see that uh mavericks cam uh yeah
1: yeah yeah on on surf how long ago did
0: you start watching mavericks cam mm. when, when it came out yeah Right long... 1997 oh is that 98. is that when it came out really i set that up nine. with my friend greg post and that was on the oh did you really oh no way oh but you got to understand it what dave doesn't understand is that that's something that not not everyone's gonna be happy about it you know? it's like Dave, you, well, might uh, have, you might have to change your address yeah, yeah. now. 30 years well, Dave, we'll make, sure, we'll
1: make sure we, we kind of blot your face out so they don't. You know what I mean? Yeah, he says they're <laughs> gonna your face so that that way you don't get you don't get any hate for that. <laughs> no, what are you what are you gonna do, He's man? Like, it was 30 years ago. <laughs> Ma- it's Mavericks, it's the most crowd, you know. Yeah, it's Mavericks is done. Like, the like
0: the surfers are carrying cameras like, again. You know, it's done. It's <laughs> yeah. done now. It's done. You got me with my okay, go, so, bro. So you're getting you're getting props. You're getting props.
1: No, that's awesome. All
0: right. <laughs> camera. So when you uh Cheers, man. when you see yourself on the camera, think of Dave.
1: No, well, no, that's that's really cool, man.
0: That is kinda of cool. Okay, I'm gonna eat. All right, man. Thanks again, Ryan. Yeah, brother. Thank you. Thank right. you so much.